Well, again, happy Father's Day to you all. Thank you, Ben, for doing such a good job for us. Uh, it is Father's Day. I am thankful for my father, Big Jim. If you uh, knew Big Jim at all, uh, you probably enjoyed him. And if you didn't know him, but you've heard stories about him, uh, you've probably had a chance to enjoy those stories as well. So I'm thankful to be Big Jim's son. I'm thankful to be, a, I'm thankful to be God's son. I'm thankful that he gets us a chance to uh, call him Father and Abba Father. I'm thankful that this day has been created, honestly, that we get a chance to honor dads uh, around the country today. So do that. Honor your dad. Uh, if you get a chance today, I know that's a tough time for some of us that may have lost our fathers. I know my dear friend, Sean Payne, who's a pastor friend of mine, uh, his dad uh, just went to be with Jesus this last week. And so it's also a tough time for some of you, I know. And so know that we've prayed for you, Sean, and, and I know many of you are praying for one another in times like this. Uh, so I know it can be difficult. I'm thankful for the providence of God on Father's Day uh, that we actually are going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Before you turn to Genesis chapter 16, uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 17, and, uh, and I want you to see what we're not preaching about today. Genesis chapter 17, if you turn down to uh, verse 11 in Genesis chapter 17, I'll let you get there really quick because this is important, and again, this is something you can thank God for today that we're not talking about. Genesis chapter 17, verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so we're not preaching about that on Father. Father's Day. And all the men in the room said, amen. Yes, that, we're not preaching about that today. That'll be next week. Uh, so you got that to look forward to. Hey, before we get into um, uh, today's text, I do want to talk about something that we do here at Refuge. Uh, uh, we do support Larry McBee and his uh, efforts to the, uh, to, to the Navajo people. We've done that for a number of years. And and so this week, this year's trip is going to be a little bit different. We're not taking a lot of people out. We're not doing projects. We're not doing things like that. So, uh, but Larry is going out. Unfortunately, on the reservation, they've been hit pretty hard by this COVID-19 uh, virus that's out. And so they are, uh, they're having a lot of difficulties, a lot of sickness. And so we typically send food. We send uh, resources out to the reservation uh, numerous times during the year. Uh, and so Larry's actually going to take a trip. Uh, with just a handful of guys uh, this, uh, this coming in, in just a few weeks. And so what I need for you, listen, Refuge, this is what I need for you to do. If you're listening and whether you're part of our Refuge family or not, uh, we need you to do this. You can actually go to, you can actually give to this. We need to raise about $5,000 just in the immediate uh, time frame for this, to pay for this trip, to pay for some resources that we're going out there. And so this is how you can help. You can actually text to give, uh, uh, you can text a dollar amount. So it could be, you put the dollar sign and your $1,000 after that, text uh, dollar sign $1,000 or $100 or $10 or whatever it is you can give, dollar sign to Navajo. That's on the screen right there. And you text it to 8432. Uh, you can do that right now. Do it. Actually, I would encourage you to even do it right now before you forget. Uh, this is a way that you can help do this. Help raise this $5,000 in this very short amount of time uh, for, the, for our Navajo friends. So will you do that? Text the dollar amount, dollar sign, dollar amount to Navajo, exactly what it says on the screen, to 84321. Thank you. Uh, I'll thank you in advance for what you're going to do and how the Lord's going to uh, bless this over and above what we could uh, ever imagine or think. So 
Hey, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. That's actually where we're going to be in our text today as we consider we continue our study in Genesis. Let's dive into the text and we will see what uh, the Lord has for us today. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Alaroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let me pray for us, and we'll keep going in our text. God, we love you. We know you love us. Lord, will you help me, Holy Spirit, uh, as I preach the word. Uh, God, use it to edify us. Use it to show us something about who you are. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open someone's eyes to the good news of the gospel today. Save someone today for their good and for your glory. For the fame of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's, uh, let's dive right back into this text and see what it says here in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Verse 2, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, 
her servant and gave her to Abram, her, ser- her husband, as a wife. So let's look back. I'm going to go backwards just a little bit uh, to verse 1. And this is what the text says. Uh, Abram, uh, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So there's specific language here in the text that I think it's important for us to see. It says that Sarai had borne him no children. And so in context for what you can, uh, so we can kind of think about what's really going on here. I, I mean, we have to think that Sarai was probably filled with different types of emotions, right? Because she was unable to have children. And so I wrote down some emotions that she probably dealt with. She was probably frustrated. Wouldn't you think that she was frustrated after all these years? I would think so if that's what they wanted. I think that she was probably angry from time to time. That seems to be a a normal reaction to something. If you have a desire for children and you're unable to have children, you're probably some anger that wells up within you. And and maybe she's even embarrassed that she's like, I can't even have children. I, I don't know, that probably comes, some shame comes with that from time to time. If you wanna have children and you can't bear them, I'm sure that shame came across Sarah. And I'm sure she was probably despondent So she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to find a way to do this, but I don't really know how in the world I'm going to make this happen after all these years. And and so the question becomes, if these emotions are true, and and they probably were, even though the text doesn't tell us that, we've got to assume some of these things by what happens in the text. Um, What kind of decisions do we typically make whenever we get into situations and we have all these emotions uh, surrounding us? I'll tell you. No good. No good. We don't make good decisions at all. I mean, usually we turn to our own devices, and and whenever we turn to our own devices, we make our own plans, and typically that's not a good decision to make. Whenever we go our own way, we make our own plans. And so, unfortunately, that's what we see happening in verse 2. We see verse 2, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so uh, here's, Sarah just kind of came up with her own plan. She's like, all right, I, I've, I've done this long enough and I've waited long enough uh, that for God to do something. And so I've set an artificial timeline that God didn't meet. Oh, anybody ever done that before? Yep. Well, I've set this artificial timeline and, and God didn't do what I wanted him to do in within my artificial timeline that I had set. And so I'm gonna take things into my own hands and I'm gonna figure this out on my own. And, and, and so here is a, here's my bold statement if you're uh, Sarah in this. She says, I, I'm gonna mix a little bit of truth in with, uh, with, with something else that I'm gonna say. And so the little bit of truth was, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And, and who would agree that that's actually a truth, right? I I mean, if you want to raise your hand, would you agree? Yeah. And so you can raise your hand emoji if you're watching. Uh, uh, So the Lord has prevented me from having children. Uh, But still, she was blaming God for not meeting her timeline. You see that? She was blaming God for not meeting her time. The Lord has prevented me. That's true. But the inflection along this is that this is your fault, God. I can't have children yet on my timeline, so this is your fault. And so this is where, and, and at this point, she had a little bit of truth in this, which God prevented her from doing this, but she goes and, sa- and goes her own way. This is what she said. Go into my servant. It, I, one of my favorite uh, 
uh, movies is Raising Arizona. And, and so this reminded me of Raising Arizona. I need me a toddler, H.I. And, and so uh, <laughs> she says, I need me a baby, H.I. Go in there and get me a baby. And, and, and so I want what I want, and I want it when I want it, and I want it now. And, and so that's basically what she was saying. And, and the real disappointing thing to me is outside of this, because it's kind of disappointing in itself, but, but Abram just listened to her voice. He just listened to her voice. I, I mean, he, they didn't check with God. There's nothing that says they checked with God. Uh, they, they didn't, he didn't remember the promise that God had made them. Uh, he, he didn't lead his wife well in the middle of this. He was just like, okay. I'll just go do what you want me to do. Uh, okay, okay, I'll do it. And then you get to verse three, and this is what the text says. So after Abraham lived, after Abram lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And so they went down the block to the chapel of love, and and they got hitched. And it was like, I do, you bet I do. And then they've got there they go. He's got a new wife on his hands. And so. Here we are in Genesis 16, and it seems like everybody in the whole text had forgotten what God had told them back in Genesis chapter 13. Look, look what it says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And, and so here's something that I like to do in things like this. Who, did, who said that they're going to make his offspring big? Look what it says. Look. Look. I will make. God promised that he's going to do something, right? Right? He said, I will make. God always, say always. God always keeps his promises. Say that for me. God always keeps his promises. Yes, that is what happens. So we go back to this and say uh, uh, that Abram was just so forgetful. He was so forgetful, it seems like he never remembers what it was that God was telling him. And I know whenever we say this, that we can kind of shake our heads and go, yeah, that Abram, he just always forgetting and stuff. Uh, but who forgets too? If you're in this room, raise your hand. Yeah, I'm raising mine too. And for I'm raising mine uh, for you on, that are watching us online. I see you in the booth back there. Yeah, we forget about what God says. We forget what God promises us. What are some of the promises that God makes to us? What are they? He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's the one that I was thinking of. What else? He's our comforter, yes. What else? Yeah, for Christians, he's gone to prepare a place for us. If you can think of a promise right now, type it in there somewhere so you can share it with other people. That God makes promises to us, and he keeps his promises. And, and, and so I just want this to let this be a reminder that no matter where you are, where the, where the timing looks like in your life right now, that, that you know this, that God doesn't operate on our timeline. 
He doesn't operate within our timeline or whenever we expect things to happen. And, and sometimes you may think that God's not paying attention at all, or you may be tempted to do things your own way and, and go your own way, and, and you wish you want to make things happen for yourself, and you pray for specific things, and you want them to happen in your specific way. And, uh, Garth Brooks even wrote a song about this. You know what it is? You know what it is? Just the other night... At a hometown football game. You know this one? My wife and I ran into my old high school flame. As I introduced them, the past came back to me. And I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one I'd wanted for all times. And each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And so... Abram and Sarah didn't have the benefit of having the great theologian Garth Brooks share songs, share songs with them, and so they couldn't they couldn't bring up this song in their memory as they were thinking about this. Um, but uh, but they did, but the deal is they didn't even pray. They didn't even pray. They didn't even think about these things. And they forgot the essential truth that you and I must remember that God always keeps his promises, always keeps his promises. So let's keep going to the text and see what happens. So we get to verse four, it says this, and he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And so uh, I, had to, I want to read this a little bit differently so you can help you understand uh, this actual verse and the way it was. So uh, he went, let's, let's read verse four again. And he went into Hagar. So Abram went into Hagar and Hagar conceived. And when Hagar saw that Hagar had conceived, Hagar looked with contempt on Sarai. That's actually how that verse should read because help us understand it a little bit uh, better. Hagar looked on with contempt on Sarai. And, and so I always read that the other way around. As I was reading this, I always thought that it was Sarai who was looking with contempt at um, uh, Hagar. Uh, but, but understanding the word contempt helped me understand this, this verse a little bit more. So what is contempt? Contempt is to be considered a synonym for hatred. And so contempt is certainly a much stronger word than dislike. And, and I wrote this down. It means you openly look as if you hate them. It means you've done something that openly demonstrates that you hold a person in contempt, that you have no respect for the person at all. And so Hagar looked at Sarai with no respect. That, that's what happened in that verse. And so uh, what would that face look like if she looked at Sarai with no respect? Practice that wherever you are. Look, use that, do that face to one another. It'd be like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, so, so we do this too, right? We have a tendency to do this same kind of thing. Uh, whenever we can do something that others can't do, 
we kind of do this same kind of thing. So what do we do them with? Sometimes we do it with infertility. I mean, I've experienced that with, with, with being around other women that couldn't have children, that desperately wanted children, and they felt like they were looked down on by people that could have children. Like they were looked at with disdain. They were looked at with contempt from other people. We do it in, in right in the middle of it right now with race. Race happens, and, and, and the different races look at one another with contempt. It happens in sports. People look at it when, with contempt with one another. It happens in your job. There's things over and over again where people look at one another with contempt. And if anybody should be the helpers in any situation, it should be followers of Jesus. It should be followers of Jesus that don't look at one another with contempt, that, but should bring help in these kind of situations whenever people are despondent. Looking at someone with contempt is, the, is in direct opposition to the teaching of Jesus and the scriptures. Uh, turn with me, if you want, to Romans 12. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12. Uh, again, we spent a long time in Romans, but Paul talks about this very thing, about what it should look like as our lives uh, uh, following Jesus, about how we should look and treat and act toward one another. Romans chapter 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That means, that means giving away yourself, giving up of yourself for the sake of others. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't do things like the world does it. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be changed. Your mind is changed by it being renewed day after day. How does that happen? With the scriptures, asking the spirit to help us, reading the scriptures, praying, be transformed so we can live differently. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse three, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, we needed Romans written for this Genesis chapter. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, think with a straight, forward, clear mind, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the many members do not all have the same function. This is talking about the body of Christ. This is talking about the church and how we can all do different things and how we might have a, t a tendency to look at one another with a little bit of disdain or how we might look down on one another or we might look at somebody, well, they can't do the things that I can do so they're not quite as important of a church member as I am. What a crappy thing to have in church. Verse five, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You see that, church? We are members, we are together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service and our serving, if one who teaches in teaching, the one exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then you go to verse nine, which really brings this home. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That means just detest what is evil. Christians, we have to detest what is evil. You may not want to talk about it. You may not want to deal with it, but you and I are called to detest what is evil. 
in our day today, we have to say racism is evil. I mean, that is applicable today. We have to say that that is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My goodness. Contempt should never, say never. Contempt should never flow from a Christian toward anyone. The very opposite is true. Love is the opposite of contempt. Love is the opposite of contempt. There was no love being expressed between Sarah and Hagar. None. No love at all. And honestly, we, we see the same given back in, from, from we, we, also, we saw it from Hagar toward Sarai, and now we're gonna see it from Sarai toward Hagar. Look what it says in verse five. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And, and so Sarah was like, I gave you my servant to embrace, and you did, and now she's looking at me weird. And so she did this to me, but I'm holding you responsible, Abram, and so I'm putting this on Abram. I'm putting this on you, Abram, and then she kind of waved her arms as like she was throwing the bad juju on Abram, and she was like, I'm putting this on you, Abram. And Abram was like, what? Wait, wait, what? She cut her eyes at you, and now you're mad at me? And so Abram thought for a moment, and he thought, what should I do in this situation? How, how should I handle this situation? And so he, he, he did a really godly thing. He went to his wife, and he prayed with her. Nope. Um, he gave her some really good, godly advice. Nope. Uh, he, um, he encouraged her to forgive Hagar. Uh, he said, let's bring some reconciliation between you two ladies. Nope. Here's what he did, verse six. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. And so Abram was like, hey, she's your servant do what you want with her. And so Sarah mean mugged her and Hagar fled. 
That's, that's what happened. Now, dudes, listen. Dudes in this room, listen. And dudes, if you're watching me, uh, you listen. Husbands, you listen. Men, you listen. Stop abdicating your role in your home. Are you listening to me? Stop giving up your role in your home. Stop retreating from difficult situations in your family. Stop sticking your head in the sand and renouncing your role as leader in your family. Our culture has told us that we're not called to do that. Our culture has told us to give up that role and we are giving it up left and right and our families are going to hell in a handbasket. Stop giving up your role by loving and leading and serving your family. Stop giving it up. It is not godly to give that up. The culture is going to fight you on it. People are going to fight you on it. You're gonna to try to be embarrassed by people whenever you don't give it up, but stop giving those things up. Men, we have to help one another. We have to encourage one another in this. Men, do not do this alone. Do not keep trying to go this alone and just giving everything up. If you need help, ask for help. If your wife finds herself at odds with another woman, then help her. Don't encourage her to keep uh, doing what we just saw happen here in the scriptures. Help her. Wives, if your husband is embroiled with another man and they're at odds with one another, do not just encourage them to be continue to fight one another. Do not encourage one another to tear down one another by words or actions like Hagar and Sarai did here. The scripture's very clear. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 13, three. Be careful with your words, church. Be careful what you say to one another. This is, is, this is especially true. Say especially true, much better than I did. Especially true. This is especially true in the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes about this. He writes about the unity in the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 31, this is what he says. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm just gonna read this for you. You can write this down. You can go back and read it later. This is what Paul says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, this is an Old Testament talk. This is New Testament talk. This is Paul saying, it is up to you and to me as followers of Jesus not to walk like the world around us. That's, that's what Paul's saying. You must no longer walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated in the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That's why they do what they do. That's why people are opposed to what the scriptures teach you and me, Christians. 
because of what Paul says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and are, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you and I learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, and the truth is in G and the, the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, you see what he says there? He says, Your old self is corrupt with deceitful desires, and you have put that off as a follower of Jesus now and to be renewed in the spirit in your minds and to put on the new self. So put off this old stuff and put on the new self is what we're called to do. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry. Hey, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. That's what Paul says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Give none. Give no opportunity for it. Just don't give the devil an opportunity. He will take advantage of it. He will take that opportunity to derail you and me. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work and in his own hand, with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ in God, as God in Christ has forgiven you. What does that last verse say? It says this, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. This is one of the ways that people are going to know that we're Christians. By forgiving one another. We say it here a lot. Christians, we're called to live differently. Live differently. We should respond differently. We should handle situations differently. We should uh, enter into situations differently because that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 7. So the angel of the Lord found her. So she had been put away. So uh, uh, Hagar had been put away by Sarai. And so verse seven says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, now Hagar found herself basically pregnant and alone. I, uh, it's not quite like the TV show uh, Naked and Afraid, but it's pretty close. Uh, uh, pregnant and alone out on this, on this way. And, 
And so Hagar could have been headed back to her hometown or in Egypt where the the angel of the Lord found her sitting by this spring. I'm sure she was tired from walking and and she stopped to get something to drink. And and so now you see this word, the angel of the Lord, that is is something that's what we believe is a theophany. And again, I know that's another $10 theological word. And, And so you say, well, what is a theophany, preacher? A theophany is this. A theophany is God taking on human form uh, on the earth to accomplish a specific purpose. And so uh, we go, hey, what, what, what is, do we believe this is a theophany? It could have been just an angel that was coming. But I particularly, I, I specifically believe uh, that the way that it's written, the original languages, I don't have time to go into, this was actually a theophany. So God taking on human form uh, to accomplish a specific purpose. And, and so I believe that this was, in fact, the Lord himself. So verse 8, uh, we get to that, and it says, And he, the Lord, said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing to my mistress Sarai. Now, again, if you get into my uh, mind as I'm reading through this and I'm thinking about <laughs> preaching through this, uh, and you get to this text and it says like this, it says, where did you come from? Where did you go? I think of the Cotton Eye Joe every time when I read this. I that's what I said in my mind, and I'm thinking, if we could just all do the Cotton Eye Joe here, that'd be great. Anyway, we don't have time for that either. Sarah said, uh, that's a catchy tune there, Lord, uh, but uh, I was just getting away from this crazy person. And so uh, verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Ooh. Uh, so what do we do when conflict arises? Typically, we do a number of things. We run away. We're like, you know what? Conflict is happening. I don't have anything to do with this person, so it's just best for me to get away from them, right? I'll just separate myself from this person. I'll just run away from them, or I'll, 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 or I'll one-up them. That, that's what I'll do. They did this to me, so I'm going to do that plus a little bit more, so I'm going to one-up them in what they just did to me. Or I'll find a way to destroy them with my words. If anybody anybody brings up that person on their lips, then I got some things to say about them on my lips. And I'll just destroy them with my words. Or I'll find a way to tarnish their reputation. And so uh, whatever it needs to be, since they've done something to me, I'll find a way, and their reputation won't be the same after I get a chance to do something with them. Or I'll try to build a coalition of people on my own side, right? I'll find people that'll get over on my side. I'll tell my version of the story. I'll tell just enough of what I want people to know, and I'll make my own coalition against somebody else, or I'll just leave. Church people are famous for this, just leaving without saying a word and walking out the door, and then we never see church people again whenever conflict arises. And, um, and so the angel of the Lord, what I believe the Lord himself said, told Hagar to return and submit to her. Don't do, any, don't do the things that we do today, but to return and submit to her. And I'm telling you, going back after conflict is difficult. I mean, it's, it's hard to go back. When you've been in conflict with somebody or you just got this thing against somebody and, and to go back and actually be in, in, in a, a, a harmony with one another or to even be in the same place with one another, it's very difficult. It's the last thing that any of us actually really want to do. But reconciliation is biblical. Reconciliation is biblical. 
Ending conflict between people is a reflection of God himself. That's what he did for us. He ended the hostility between him and us. He, he ended those, that conflict. And so reconciliation, ending conflict is biblical. And I'm just gonna tell you this, I'm thankful for you here in this church. I'm thankful for people at Refuge that have gone through conflict and worked through hard stuff. And maybe you're still working through hard stuff, but I'm thankful that you're still doing it. That is a reflection of the gospel at work in your life. So I just want you to know, thank you for, for that. Thank you for doing the hard work. It's not easy to do it. Uh, I'm very thankful for you and being willing to do that. So, so God told Hagar to return and submit to Sarai. Hard, hard words. Let's keep going in the text. Verse 10 says this, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, He's his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Uh, and so the angel said, look, I need you to follow my instruction, and this is my promise to you if you will listen and, and obey. I'm going to create a new nation out of you, and I'm going to multiply your offspring so that they cannot even be numbered, and I'm going to give you a name, I'm going to give you a son, and his name's going to be um, Ishmael. Yeah, we'll call him that. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. I mean, how about if you got to describe that? Hey, women, what if that, that you were told you're going to have a wild donkey of a son? I mean, I mean, some of you might be going, yep, amen, that's what I got. And, and so, uh, but that's what God, that's what the angel of the Lord said. You're going to have a wild donkey of a son. And he says this, everybody's going to be against him. Everybody's going to be against him. Uh, he'll be at odds with his kinsmen. And the reality is that truth actually lasts until today. Ishmael is, uh, is led to the Islamic uh, uh, religion, and it's, a, race, it's a, a, a religion that traces their roots back to Abram, actually through Ishmael. And uh, today they're still at odds with their kinsmen. I love the Bible. I, I love the way that it's just honest and truthful, and uh, it still is, is true uh, today. Uh, let's keep going. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And, and so uh, Hagar uh, proclaims to God, hey, God, you're a God who sees. And, and uh, you're the one who looks after me. And, and so honestly, this is true today. God is a God who sees. God is a God who looks after you. And, and so I just want to say, hey, I, I, some of you need to hear this today. God sees you. God sees where you are. God knows where you are. He, he, you, may, you may think that nobody else sees you. You may feel like you're out in the wilderness all by yourself. You may feel like you're on some journey uh, going back to nowhere, somewhere you didn't want to go. And now, but I just want you to know God sees you and he knows you and he loves you and you need to know that you're not alone. God is with you. And the text tells us that in this, Ishmael was born. And the text on, skips on down to verse 16 and says this, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So Abram was 86 years old. I'm hoping to live until I'm 86. 
that's the year I graduated high school from Kossuth High School, go Aggies. Uh, and so I'm hoping to live until I'm 86. Uh, that's a stretch, I know, for many of you who know me that don't think I'm going to quite live that long. Uh, I do need a kidney, uh, so uh, to live that long, uh, you'll be seeing more about that soon, but I do need a kidney uh, if I'm going to make it to 86. So the question becomes this, uh, so what? Right? I mean, what do we take from all this? What do we take from all this text and the story uh, of Sarah and Hagar? What do we we take from this? Uh, A few things I think we uh, have to take away. One, God is a God who knows. God knows stuff. God knows everything. God knows everything that's going on around you. God knows. If you think you're alone, God knows. If you think nobody understands what's happening with me right now, God knows. God knows exactly what's happening with you right now. Here's what we know. God is a God who plans. God knows your ends from the beginnings. He knows that your last breath that you'll take already, he knew whenever he put you on this earth, and he knows everything, every intimate detail about you that's going on in your life. Even when you feel like you're alone, you're not alone because God knows. God knows stuff. Secondly, God is a God who plans. God makes plans along the way. So we may think we're doing our own plans, and we do. We decide what we're eating for lunch. We decide where we're going for dinner. We decide who we're having over for lunch or for, uh, I'm clearly hungry. Uh, uh, We decide where we're going on vacation, but the reality is God already knows all those things. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're doing. But God is a God who not only knows, God is a God who plans, and he makes plans, and he includes us in his plans from from the beginning to the end. God is a God who keeps his promises. When God promises something, he keeps it. He just keeps it in his time. We may not agree with whatever that timeline is. We may not like it, but we have to live within God's timing. Should we pray about things? Should we pray about things? Should we ask for things in the immediate? Absolutely we should, because that may be the way that God chooses to do things, but God does things in his time. God is a God who enters our distress, we see God entering into this distress for, uh, for Hagar whenever she was sent away. It had to be a stressful time for them. She was already at odds with Sarah. Her mis- uh, you know, in, in all the situation that was going on, she had been sent away. She was pregnant. But God is a God who entered into the distress and met her where she was, spoke to her and said, this is what I'm going to do for you even in the middle of, of the middle of her distress. God is a God who comforts. She com- he comforted Sarah, uh, Hagar and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do through your son. I'm going to make him into a great nation. And so God comforts us whenever we are in distress. He comforts us whenever we're in our time of need. God is a God who calls us to action. He calls us to do some things. We're not called to live this life how many years that we've got and do nothing for him. God calls us to action. What did he call Hagar to do? A tough one. Return and submit. Sometimes he calls us to do that. Return and submit. Or maybe, he call, maybe it's not that difficult in what he's calling you to do today, but he calls us to do some things. God is a God who sees. He sees us wherever we are. He sees you wherever you are. God is a God who looks after you and me. He saw Hagar wherever she was. He was looking after Hagar in this time, and he does the same thing for you and me. Maybe you're someone and you feel alone. Maybe you feel used or abused or maybe you feel rejected or maybe you feel invisible. I I know that can happen to 
some people, sometimes. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You won't have to be alone. I'll never leave you. Jesus, and, and then Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he doesn't leave us, if God is a God who doesn't leave people in the Old Testament, since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's not going to leave us today. See, God doesn't live in a cancel culture. God doesn't operate that way. I'm very thankful for that. And in that, God doesn't discard his children when they sin. I'm extremely thankful for that. God does the very opposite. He gives grace. God pursues his children. God loves his children. God gives hope to his children, even in the middle of the mess they, 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 that they might have created, that you and I might have created. God is a God who gives us hope. And my prayer is that may he'll strengthen us and give us grace to fellow sinners to do the same in like measure. See, let's be people who don't cancel anyone out. Let that be said of us, that we're not people who cancel people out. Let's actually be people who enter into situations when people are having difficult situations, even if the difficult situations are with us. Let's be people who listen to understand, not to just make a point, because I do that a lot. I know when people are talking, I'm thinking about the point that I need to make to help them here. But let's just be people who will listen to understand, not to just respond in like manner. Let's, let's be people who pursue the shunned. That's what God did here. He pursued the shunned. He pursued the outcast. He pursued the one who had been sent away. Let's be those kind of people that pursue the shunned. Let's be people that welcome the outcast. Let's be people who choose to build up instead of destroy. This looks like Jesus. Ray Ortland, uh, who's a pastor in Nashville, dear friend, uh, said this, the most psychologically healthy person in the world today, the risen Jesus, he isn't an angry crank. He isn't nursing any grievance. His heart moves toward all of us in genuine love. His wholeness means he is objective but not detached. He yearns even for those we despise. God, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, you have to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in his finished work. You can know about Jesus. You can know stories about Jesus. But to know Jesus, you've got to know him in a spiritual way. To repent, to turn from your sin, to put your faith and trust in his finished work, his righteousness and his finished work on your behalf, that's the essence of the gospel message. That we get all, he gets all, he takes all of our sin, he gives us all of his righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. And so for many of you today, even if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling left out, if you're feeling way out in left field, if you're feeling like nobody sees you, God sees you and wants to know you. 
It happens if you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity today. If you have questions about what that looks like, then by all means, contact us at Refuge. It would be our joy to talk with you and pray with you. Be our honor to lead you to the lover of your soul. Our hope is that you'll surrender your life to him today. Let me pray for us.